I was at work at a part-time job in college, and one of my best friends showed up. Doesn't usually show up at work there, but I could tell by almost immediately looking at his face that something wasn't right. Something was, was wrong. And we spoke briefly and took a little bit of time, but found somebody to kind of cover for me for a few minutes and walked off with my friend, and we kind of went into the, the back areas of the building there and began to talk. And he had just found out that his mother had been having an affair. And even as a college-age young man, he was rocking his world. And he was just in the process of trying to process all of that and deal with it and try to make some sense out of it and all the emotions and all the, the, the feelings that are part of that, all the thoughts that go racing through your head, what did happen, what's going to happen, and all of these things. And I was poorly, poorly equipped to try to come alongside a friend in a time like that, other than just keep showing up. And as we kind of kept showing up together, we talked through a lot, listened a lot, thought up lots of answers. I know it was something that he was struggling with, and I think in many ways even marked some of his relationships from that time forward. But as we were struggling with all of that together, two young men trying to begin to understand what does it mean to love? Because what we were seeing and experiencing in the world around us and in the culture was not satisfying, was not giving the answers that felt like there had to be a better set of answers to. And somewhere in the midst of all of our stumbling about, we stumbled across 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of folks call it the love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13, we began to see a different way of thinking about love, a different way of living out this thing called love than what we were seeing and experiencing and hearing from the world around us. And my guess is for many of us in the room, when you think 1 Corinthians 13, you probably think of a wedding ceremony, right? I can't tell you the number of times I have read a portion of that chapter as part of a wedding ceremony. But what I want to suggest to you this morning and for this series is that this love chapter is not just for wedding day, but it is for every single day for the rest of our lives. That when we begin to understand it, when we begin to, to soak in it, when we begin to let it open us up, we begin to understand it, it shows us a better way to live. Ultimately, it shows us how to love like Jesus lived and loved, a better, a different way. 
Whether you're single or married, whatever season of your life you're in, this chapter is, is for you. It is for me. It's not just for romance. It's not just for wedding days. It's not just to, to put on, on pictures. But it's to be lived out in the fabric of our life and all the relationships of our life. And it begins by reminding us of the supremacy or the necessity of love. Can I remind you in the first three verses of those familiar words, but pray unto God today that familiarity doesn't breed contempt and doesn't keep us from hearing what God may want to say to us. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Whatever my giftedness, whatever my sacrifice, whatever my service, whatever words I espouse, whatever great deeds I aspire to, in the absence of love, in the absence of a heart shaped by and motivated by love, in the eyes of God, it's nothing. It's empty. It's noise. When Jesus was challenged, what is the the greatest commandment? He went to the heart of love, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The supremacy and the necessity of love. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. I want you to hear as we begin kind of unpacking this that that I'm not going to say to you just kind of tie on your boots and Pull yourself up and just be more loving, doggone it. (laughs) Because we'll never get there. That what the scripture tells us is that I have a great, great need for more of the love of Jesus in my life. That when I come to a passage like 1 Corinthians 13 and I begin to read love is patient and love is kind and love is all these things, I begin to understand I can't substitute my name in there for love. All the time. I can't always say Jeff is patient, Jeff is kind. But you could take Jesus' name and put it in there every single time. And what I need to be able to love like Jesus loved is more of the love of Jesus in my life and through my life into the lives of others. We'll never learn how to love by working it out from our own hearts, but only by having more of Jesus in our lives. That's why we want to talk about loving like Jesus loved. 
Because in the end, our capacity, our motivation, our ability to love comes because he first loved us. And I hope you'll hear this over and over and over again through this series. It's not about me just trying to work up my, my strength of will, more love, but it's me experiencing and living in and reveling in more of the love of God for me and allowing that love to flow through me into the lives of other people. And so what we're going to try to do in this series is we're going to take some of these descriptors in 1 Corinthians 13, some that perhaps you're very, very familiar with. But as we're going to look at those, we're not just going to look at those kind of in an isolated academic way, but we're going to, we're going to pull some things out of the life of Jesus and say, how did Jesus demonstrate this? How did Jesus live this out? And what might it look like for you and me to love like Jesus loved? We're not necessarily going to go straight in order through 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to do a little more based on the chronology of Jesus' life. I want to start this morning kind of with a foundational one, and that is the fact that love is kind. Love is kind, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 reminds us. But as we read all of these words as we'll walk through this, this, this series, I want you to know on the front end that to read these words perhaps differently than you read it in a cursory reading. Read it understanding that the words used to describe love in 1 Corinthians 13 are not nouns, but they're verbs. It's not this, this, this kind of this state or this thing, but, but it, is, it is an action. Love at its core is an action, not just primarily an affection. And our culture would, would, would try to tell us that, that love is all about a feeling and it's an affection and it can come and it can go and you can be in love and out of love and all of these things and, and you either have it or you don't. But, but, but the, the scripture tells us that love is not this, this isolated thing, but it is, it, it is action. It is, it is active through our lives. Forrest Gump's mama taught him that stupid is as stupid does, right? You remember? And that's the same way we could say love is as love does. Love is as love does. It is, it is the action of love. It is the verb of love. So that when you come and read love is kind, you need to understand it is saying that love shows kindness. Love demonstrates kindness. Love acts in ways that are kind. And kindness is this active goodness on behalf of others. That, that I, I live life with kindness, with, with a love that, that seeks the good of others, that, that invests energy, that invests life on behalf of others, seeking the good of others. And perhaps foundational to understanding that is understanding how God acted in love on our behalf, seeking an, the active goodness on behalf of us. And Titus helps us to capture that. And so if you, you'll find uh, Titus uh, right uh, uh, toward the back of, of the New Testament. You, you come to First uh, and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then there's uh, the book of Titus. And in chapter 3, uh, he, he tells tells us something about uh, the loving kindness of God. Look at verse 4 and following. Let me read them all and then we'll uh, unpack them just a little bit. But when the goodness 
and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal Life. Now, let's pause right there. In just these brief verses, Titus tells us something about the loving kindness of God toward us through Jesus Christ. And the first thing he reminds us of, it is it is saving love. It is a saving love. Back in verse 5, when he talks about it, he says that it is that love that saved us. And the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us us, that God actively intervened. He didn't just have warm feelings toward us, but God acted. He acted on our behalf. He acted and sent Jesus Christ to do for us what we could have never done for ourselves, that Jesus came and he lived the life that you and I were called to live, were designed to live. He died the death that we deserve to die because of our rebellion against a holy and just God. He was buried. He was resurrected. He ascended to the Father, and He's coming again someday. And through that action, through that activity, God intervened on my behalf and yours to rescue us from the just penalty of our sin, to save us from, from a meaningless life, to save us from an eternity separated from Him. And He intervened because of His love. It is not because, as he says there in verse 5, uh, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Said another way, it's not because we were so doggone loving, right? In spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin, in spite of turning our back on him, instead of, instead of serving him, trying to use him, in light of all of that kindness, a loving kindness of God reached out to us with a rescuing, saving love. The loving kindness of God is a merciful love, not because of our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, according to his own mercy, that it was, it was who God is, it was the character of God, it is how he chose to relate to us, that it was because of his mercy, it wasn't because of our greatness, but because of the greatness of his love, the greatness of his mercy. He didn't give us what we deserved, but he gave us what we couldn't have gotten on our own because of his mercy. And that love, when you experience it, when you realize it, when you open your life up to receive it, it is a life-changing love. It is a life-changing love. So that he, he talks about this washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That there is something life-altering about experiencing the loving kindness of God. That it begins to change your life. There is a regeneration. There is this new birth. You go from death to life, from darkness to light, that you go from, from a life of, of, of let no purpose, you go now to have a purpose to be restored. All of these things, Paul would later write to the Corinthians, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what God's love does. 
It changes your life. When you experience in the core of your being, not just as some religious concept, not just as some tune you sing as part of a song, but in the depth of your being to know the saving, rescuing, merciful love of God, it changes you. It changes you and it changes your relationships. It is a life-changing love. And it is a generous love. It is a generous love. Look at the the descriptions there in verse 6. Whom he poured out, talking about this renewal that we have through the Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There is this this abundance in his love. There is this generosity in his love. There's not a stinginess in the loving kindness of God, but it is a generous love. He pours out, purposed by the Father, executed by the Son, applied to each of our lives through the Holy Spirit. And this love becomes not, not just in small nuggets, not just I'll give you the minimal daily dosage, but there is a generosity to it. I mean, and that's what happens. And when, when you are captured by love, right? I mean, you, you, your heart goes generous, right? You begin to be generous with your time, generous with your resources. I mean, you, you give it away. And listen, I'm looking at some of you. Some of you are grandparents. You understand this, right? You understand there is this, this generosity that just kind of wow, it just flows because love captures your heart. It is a generous love. But there's one other thing that Titus tells us here, and that is that it is an eternal love. It's an eternal love. There was this generosity that's poured out so richly so that being justified by his grace, we might become, and I know we've perhaps heard this so often, it loses its impact, but here, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That God in his love has so fixed it upon us that it is not just for a moment. It's not just for a season. It's not just, well, well, we fell into love and now we've fallen out of love. No, it is an eternal love. It is an eternal love that not only changes our life for the moment, not only for this uh, short run on the earth, but a love that will extend throughout all eternity. And in that love, in that love, God has adopted us. He has brought us into his family. We are, we are heirs. The Those who have been rebels, those who have been enemies, those who have been on the outside have been brought inside to the family. They've been poured out generosity into their lives, and that's never, ever, ever going to end. It is an eternal love. Henry Boardman put it this way, adoption is the highest proof of love which one can bestow upon another except dying for him. And Christ has done both for us. Would you sit with that for just a moment? Yeah, it may be one thing to say, I would do that for somebody that I liked a lot. But God did it for those who had rejected him, who had rebelled against him, who justice demanded a punishment swift and eternal. And what God did instead was to act. 
to act with a loving kindness on behalf of us. To act so that he would absorb the, the righteous, just wrath of a holy God and extend to us the invitation to be a part of his forever family. He adopted us and he died for us. All because of love. And we start here because this is foundational to loving like Jesus loved. Experiencing the love that God has for us. You see, knowing the kindness of God enables us to start showing the kindness of God. It is when I become captured, uh, when I become overwhelmed with, when I become absorbed in, when I revel in the loving kindness of God toward me, when that becomes the, the rhythm of my life, more and more and more, I spontaneously begin to show the kindness of God toward other people because I know God's love for me and that love fills me and that, life, that love changes me and that love begins to flow through me in to the lives of other people, but it begins by knowing the kindness of God toward me because knowing the kindness of God enables us to start showing the kindness of God. So as we think about that, what might it start to look like if you and I really started showing the kindness of God? Well, we talked about some of these things a couple years ago. We did a series on the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness. But I just want to remind you of maybe a few things that, not the final word for sure, but might be at least a good starting point for you just thinking about what does it look like for me to show the kindness of God to the people I interact with day in and day out. First, be sensitive. Be sensitive. Philippians, uh, Paul wrote, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. The, the kindness of God didn't just look out for his interest, but God acted in kindness on behalf of us for our interest. And in much the same way, I'm not just to be aware of and sensitive to my needs, wants, and desires, but what is going on in the life of another human being. This is one thing I can absolutely guarantee you this week. Everyone you meet this week needs kindness. Everyone you meet. They may not act like it. They may not even appreciate it. They may not extend kindness towards you. But everybody you meet this week needs kindness. You may not know their story, but you can know they need kindness. In fact, it's sometimes when you begin to hear some of the stories you begin to realize how much they need to experience the loving kindness of God through you. Everyone you meet this week needs kindness. And you have to be sensitive enough, maybe even to seek that out. It's a great example in the Old Testament, David in 2 Samuel 9. 
coming to power. I mean, he's been hunted by Saul. He's been on the run. He's been uh, declared a criminal, smear campaigns. I mean, everything, right? He finally comes to, 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 to the kingship. And one of the first things he does is not to, to say, is there anybody else in Saul's house that I can make sure and wipe out so there'll never be a threat to me? He says, is there anybody left in the household of Saul that I can show kindness toward? And the only one left was a guy by the name of Mephibosheth who was crippled by an accident who quite honestly had, was not a threat to David and really wasn't going to help David. But David was sensitive enough to seek out this one that he could demonstrate kindness toward. What would it look like if you and I began to say, God, help me to be sensitive enough to see and seek out those that you want to show kindness to? through me this week. Be sensitive. Be supportive. Be supportive. And that supportive shows up sometimes first and foremost through our language, through our words, right? Proverbs says, a a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the Spirit. Now, don't you kind of wish that, that somehow they could like put this on the walls in Washington, D.C., right? And you know, maybe like whenever you opened up your Twitter account and began to type uh, a few characters in there, this proverb might jump out there or something along the way. A gentle tongue. It's a tree of life. But perverseness in it breaks the Spirit. The message paraphrase puts it this way, kind words heal and help. Cutting words, wound, and maim. See, here's what I know. If we had time, we could grab this microphone and we could start walking around. And my guess is without a whole lot of fault, almost every one of us in this room could tell you of a time when words wounded and maimed us, right? And for some of you, those words were just in the past few days. For some of you, some of those words have been a long, long, long time ago. But even me just mentioning that right now begins to bring some of that junk back up. Because that's the power of words to wound and maim. But I would hope that maybe there would be some of us who could say there were other people in my life who their words were kind. Their words restored hope. Their words helped me begin to heal. Those words came onto my life at just the right time. And maybe loving kindness looks just as simple as making a decision every single day to build people up rather than tearing them down. There are critics everywhere, right? 
Everybody's got an opinion. And half the world seems to post them on social media, right? I don't think we need a whole lot more critics in our world right now. Well, maybe. Maybe we need a few more men and women who figure out a way to build up in a world where so many people seem bent on tearing one another down. Be sensitive. Be supportive. Tied in with that is certainly to be sympathetic. To be sympathetic. Paul described it this way. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes we find it easier to do one of those than the other. One end than the other. Sometimes we find it a little easier to come alongside and weep with somebody that's weeping, but struggle at times to rejoice with somebody that's rejoicing, particularly if they're rejoicing over something that we don't get to do or we don't get to experience. And yet those who are captivated by the love of God find a strength that they are strong enough to be sympathetic that they, they have a security in their life because of the, the loving kindness of God toward them, that, that out of that loving kindness, they, 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 they are strong enough to be able to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to weep with those weeping. And, and so they're, they're able to be sympathetic. They're able to, to come alongside, to feel with, to enter into someone else's joy and someone else's pain. But that comes from a position of security and a position of strength that we find in the loving kindness of God toward us. Fourth way to express that loving kindness, and this may come as a little bit of a a surprise, is to be straightforward. To be straightforward. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That sometimes the most loving thing to do is to be straightforward, to lean into a tough topic, to raise a a sensitive issue, to go where other folks don't necessarily want to go. We have to be able to be secure enough in the love of God for us to look into the lives of other people and say, what is the most loving thing to do in this situation? What is the most loving thing to do in this situation? And you see, sometimes, sometimes we confuse niceness and kindness, and they're not the same. They're not the same. In fact, is when you look in the Gospels, Jesus was not always nice. My guess is when he was turning over tables in the temple and driving people out, folks didn't stand around and say, well, bless his heart. Isn't he one of the nicest guys you've ever met? No. But he was incredibly loving and acting in loving kindness even in that. When he challenged the Pharisees, uh, confronting their hypocrisy, when he was challenging them with a series of woes, my guess is his approval ratings dropped, right? That wasn't very nice. But it was incredibly kind. 
What is the most loving thing to do in this situation? See, sometimes the answer is comfort. Sometimes the answer is comfort. But sometimes the answer is confront. Sometimes the answer is to come alongside and weep with somebody that's weeping. But sometimes the most loving thing to do is to say, I love you too much to not raise this. I love you too much to let that go unchallenged because that trajectory is heading in the wrong direction. I love you too much not to intervene. Honestly, it would be easier not to. It would be easier just to be nice and not say anything or do anything, not rock the boat. But it wouldn't be very loving. Now, all of us by wiring probably tend toward one of those areas or the other. We, we tend more just kind of instinctively to, to comfort some, maybe more instinctively to confront. A couple questions can maybe help us as we think about being straightforward. The first is, am I really committed to this person's best interest? When I, if I'm going to raise this, is it because of a loving kindness that I am seeking their good? I am committed to their best interest. Or is the truth of the matter is I'm raising this up just because I'm ticked off about it, right? Am I really committed to this person's best interest? Great question. Second, am I making a hit and run or am I going to be a part of the process of change? I know there may be some exceptions. There may be some times where God will just maybe prompt you to lean in and just maybe say a word even to a person that you don't necessarily have a relationship with, that much of a relationship, and maybe just by geography or uh, whatever, you're not going to be able to be a, a big part of that process of change. But by and large, I have to ask, is this just a hit and run? Is this just a drive-by, Right? I'm going to tell you what you need to fix. Now do it. And I'm gone. <laughs> or am I willing to in loving kindness invest? Th think about it. Think about it. How does God relate to you and I? <laughs> Doesn't, sometimes God comes alongside and he comforts. He comforts the brokenhearted. He comes alongside the wounded. But sometimes God loves you enough to rattle your cage, doesn't he? Sometimes God loves you enough to say, I can't let that go unchecked in the life of a child. Sometimes God loves us enough, he resists to discipline us, and it doesn't seem fun at the time. But God doesn't do a hit and run, does he? If he comes in conviction, if he comes and confronts something in his life, in our life, he's going to walk with us in the process of repentance and healing and change. Be straightforward. One more. Be spontaneous. Be spontaneous. Galatians says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. When it comes to all of these verbs that we're going to look at throughout 1 Corinthians 13, what we have to understand is good intentions don't count. 
We have to get around to it. We have to to take action. We have to act on behalf of another human being. It's not enough to say, I feel kindness towards you, right? I have to act in kindness. I have to take action. Good intentions don't count. Classic New Testament example is the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. The Good Samaritan in Luke 10. You're familiar with the story. Even if you've never read it in the Scripture, you've probably heard it in our culture in some way, form, or fashion. Guy is robbed, beaten, left for dead. A couple of passerbys, religious to the core, give wide berth, don't even check on him. Just make their way. One guy, a Samaritan, which doesn't shock us, but was shocking to Jesus' original audience because these were like the people that were like low on the totem pole here. These were the folks that, that nobody spoke well of in the Jewish community. And here is a disrespected at best Samaritan who becomes the hero of the story. Who, though he's busy, though he's, he's got places to go and people to see and things to do, he, he has enough margin in his life, enough bandwidth in his life, enough room in his heart to reach out to somebody he doesn't even know, to intervene on their behalf, to, to take time and to, to invest in them and to get them the help that they need. And this story reminds us of a couple of truths if we're going to live out the loving kindness of God. And that is that kindness always, always, always costs. It costs you time, it costs you energy, it may cost you resources. And so this good Samaritan, he sets aside his agenda. He steps into the life of another. He he gets hands-on and ministers to some needs. And then he sets aside financial provision to take him to a place where he can get care and he begins to cover the initial cost. He said, if it's even more, charge it to my account. Kindness will cost But then what did it cost God to express loving kindness toward you and I? It cost him his son on the cross. Kindness always costs. Second observation, busyness is a top contributor to our lack of expressing kindness. Happens to me, it happens to you. I mean, our lives are full, and at times it feels like the water level is already above the nose, right? And when you're drowning in in stuff to begin with, you don't have a whole lot of margin for kindness. I don't have time to be kind this week, excuse me. (laughs) Coming through. I got to get from point A to point B, and I've only allotted an X amount of time. I don't have time for somebody on the side of the road. Busyness is a top contributor for our lack of expressing kindness. It could be that for some of us, what it's going to look like to live out the kindness of God is to create some margin in our life. Just to create some margin where God can interrupt us enough to be spontaneous. And as we think about the loving kindness of God, as Titus summed it up for us in those few short verses. I want to tie it together with one 
final expression of showing loving kindness toward others. And that is simply this, that the greatest kindness we can ever show to anyone is to share the gospel with them. Now, stick with me for a moment, because some of you, maybe you've been tracking with me all the way up to this point. But think, think this through with me for just a moment. If we truly believe what we say we believe, if we truly believe that everybody is going to spend forever somewhere, if we truly believe that there is no way to be made right with God except through Jesus Christ and Christ alone, that Jesus meant it when He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, then how unloving and unkind do I have to be to not share the gospel with somebody? Gosh, that hurts. Because you know what that does when I confront that reality in my own life? It reminds me that all the excuses I tell myself are just that. They're excuses. I'm too busy. Don't have time. Don't roll shoulders with that many non-Christians. I do all these other things. I get it, I get it, I get it. But then I come back to the Word of God. And I come back to Titus. And what God pierces my heart with is that the issue, bottom line, is not too busy, not no opportunity. The issue is a lack of love. Lack of love. And I don't know, maybe that's just for me. As Paul said, the love of Christ compels us. It compels us. <laughs> when I truly begin to be understanding and overwhelmed by and reveling in and amazed by the loving kindness of God toward me. It enables me to show the loving kindness of God toward others. Including sharing the gospel with them. Yes, with wisdom. Yes, with seasoned language, seasoned by salt, with the right words. But in the end, it's not about skill. It's about heart. It's about the loving kindness of God that sent Jesus Christ to the cross, sending me into the lives of other people to tell them about the love of God. Tertullian lived the end of the second and into the beginning of the third century. And he wrote that the early followers of Jesus Christ were sometimes misidentified by label. Sometimes pagans called Christians Christiani in Greek rather than Christiani. Understandable, the words are very, very close. 
but understandable on another level as well. You see, Christiani is the Greek for Christians, but Christiani comes from the Greek for kindness. Tertullian made the point that even when believers were not yet recognized as Christ people, they were already known as kindness people. And that kindness helped point other people to Jesus Christ. What might happen in a talk-back, fight-back, put-down, tear-down world if the men and women of God spent less time pointing fingers and more time lifting loads? What might it look like if even before people knew you were Christiani, they experienced Christiani, the kindness of God through you. May God make it so in our lives and in our relationships. Would you pray together with me, please? All oh, Father, Thank you for your kindness toward us. When we deserved it the least, we absolutely needed it the most. And Father, I pray, Lord, that even as we begin this series, as we are just in your presence in these next few moments this morning, Father, that you would just overwhelm us again with the goodness of God, with the loving kindness of God toward us, the life-changing, eternity-altering, undeserved kindness of God. And Lord, that as more and more we know the kindness of God, you would enable us to show the kindness of God toward others. And so, Father, I just want to pray very specifically this morning for some in this room right here, right now. Lord, I pray that today, this day, this morning, this moment would be a breakthrough. A time when they allow the loving kindness of God to, to, to open their heart and to, uh, to, uh, to remove the blinders from their eyes. And that today would be the day that they would come to recognize their need and your provision of the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. And that today would be the day they respond to that loving kindness in repentance and in faith. Lord, let today be the day that they become overwhelmed with the loving kindness of God. And Father, I pray for those who name your name in this room right now. Lord, we all have challenges in our life personally. We all have challenging people and relationships in our life. Lord, would you show us how to express the kindness of God in all of its facets in a way that would honor you and would bless others. Father, direct us even now. I'm just going to invite you to take just a, a next couple of moments to be still in the presence of the Lord.